Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. This is the podcast where we dig a little deeper into segments that have already aired on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Like, you already got the segment, but now we get to give you a little extra gravy, just a little little extra on the side. Right? It's, like, it's like when you watch a Marvel movie and then Samuel L. Jackson appear at the end and you get a little extra movie after the credit. That's what we are. We're the after credit, beyond the credit scenes. Of the Daily Show. Um, I'm Roy Witt Jr. Today we're going to be talking about a piece that aired in 2018, a piece that celebrated the 50th anniversary of the introduction of Franklin, the first black character ever in the Peanuts comic strip. Let's give him a little sample. Newspaper Franklin was great. You can't argue that. But when they put him on TV, it was a different story. All of a sudden, they made him a stereotype. Franklin just do the hokey pokey trap. Roy, anyway, like I hear what you're saying, but I like I liked having Franklin on the screen. It, it, I think it's important for kids to be able to see a version of themselves. Okay, cool. So if that's the case, the cartoon should honor the original revolutionary spirit of Franklin. If you're gonna make him rap, do it right. This is America. With me today to discuss this piece, this segment, its inception, uh, two guests. First one is an Emmy-nominated writer and a stand-up comedian, writer for The Daily Show. I guess I should add that, too, since we're going beyond the scenes. Josh Johnson, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, I, I can't complain. How's your side hustle of delivering soothing voicemails to strangers for a dollar a pop. That's a nice microphone you got over there. Oh, bro. thanks. I've made one dollar. <laughs> just getting warmed up. Our other guest, the voice you just heard, is that of cartoonist and creator of the Jumpstart comic strip. And he has a book coming out. We're going to talk about that a little later in the pod. Rob Armstrong, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting, man. Now, Rob, I want to start with you. And let's. I'm going to just take you back to a little young Roy Wood Jr., I didn't see a lot of representation, as the old people call it, the funny pages. You know, I I read, you know, comic strips going up. You know, I was a Garfield guy. I was a Calvin and Hobbes. I pretty much own most everything that Bill Watterson put out. And then for a quick minute, I was reading The Phantom. Then my mama saw it and didn't like it. And so then she started, like, would literally cut out <laughs> certain comic strips <laughs> that I wasn't allowed to read. Like a lot of yeah. kids, I did read Peanuts. Uh, although I will say, just as an aside, in terms of black characters, I appreciated Heathcliff over Garfield because Heathcliff for sure was, a th even if he wasn't a black cat, he was for sure a thug. He was out there whooping ass and fighting dogs <laughs> every day. Yeah, Heathcliff was, Heathcliff was, um, he was a hard scrapping cat, man. Don't be around the bush. He was thug life. He was, <laughs> he beat Gar Heathcliff would beat Garfield's ass. All right, so as a cartoonist, I know that you are very familiar with the history of your craft. Can you run us through the history of how Franklin was introduced in the Peanut Strip? Yeah, man. Well, first of all, I want to just say that a lot of um, press has been given to Franklin and 
and to Schultz, obviously, because of Franklin. But Maury Turner, I don't know if you guys got Wee Pals in your local paper growing up. No, what's that? Wee Pals is the first syndicated comic strip by a black person in the country. And it was launched in 1965. The guy who um, created Wee Pals, his name was Maury Turner. His strip, Wee Pals, wasn't as widely syndicated. He was in hundreds of newspapers, but Schultz and Peanuts was in thousands of newspapers. They were both in my Philadelphia Bulletin as a child and both mm-hmm. had enormous impact on me. In 1968, Maury was in the game for three years. He was in, this is not meant to be funny, he was in 10 newspapers in the whole country, 17, somewhere around there. Like, compared to Peanuts, non-existent. When the cities were smoldering after Dr. King's assassination, Maury was in hot demand. Suddenly he was in 50 newspapers, 75, his phone wouldn't stop ringing, 100 newspapers, 200 newspapers. Like It was the year that changed his life. And he, he always felt weird that Dr. King had to die for that to happen. You guys, I feel the exact same way because of George Floyd. Like suddenly wow. a lot of things, including this podcast, happened after George Floyd. Although this isn't directly like, there were people literally calling me after the verdict. Um, the newspaper in Minneapolis added Jumpstart after the verdict. So, hey, buddy, what's up with that Jumpstart thing? As an ally, we sure would love to. We'll make a little. Yeah. We'll we'll move Marmaduke over a couple of yeah. inches and make Roy, space for you, dude. Thirty-two years in the game. That's exactly what happened. I felt it, I, it was surreal. I've been around for a long time. So Franklin, that same year, nineteen sixty-eight, was introduced into the Peanuts cast on July thirty-first. Right after King got assassinated, um, a letter shows up in Charles Schultz's office from this, this woman, a Jewish woman named Harriet Glickman. It was around like mid-April, like the 15th or so. And of course, King died on the 4th. Correct. And he gets this letter saying, you have this huge platform. You can do something about this because you have the voice and the platform that people pay attention to. You should add a black character. And he ignored it, you know. We just kindly said, uh, I don't think that would be a good idea, but she kept pressing she sent them another letter and then she sent them another letter there were a few letters in before he came out and said if i did something like that it might come off as condescending but by then she had told so many of her black friends i've I've met harriet (laughs) she died not long ago like harriet's a fearless this is the og tweeter this is she's so og She had contacted so many black people and she's a little Jewish lady. It was so funny. I met her. I said, oh my gosh, I thought you were black. Um, She got other people to say the same thing. So when he listened to these people, you know, Franklin just appeared like out of nowhere. So he just did it. And the syndicate said, uh, yeah, we're not running these. Schultz was my friend and I called him Sparky. So if you hear me calling this guy Sparky, forgive me, I'm being very familiar. Sparky said, um, okay, well, I quit. Whenever I hear people say, um, I saw that Thanksgiving uh, BS, man. He, 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 he must have been a racist and all that. A, he's my friend. I happen to know he's not a racist. But there aren't many people, black or white, that are willing to throw away a seven-figure career like that. He said, really? Not running out? The ones, Franklin? I'm done. And they said, oh, no, no, we didn't mean that. That's the, you know, we want to run them. 
and uh, he, hey man, he did what Sinatra did for Sammy. Like, oh, we strong. He can't come in here. Yeah, he can't come in here and play with us. He can't come in the front door. We ain't performing. Sinatra was crazy, OG. Like, really, we're out of here. Cabana was like, wait a second, we didn't mean. (laughs) Just, just one. One is all right. It's not too bad. Yeah, that's a spot on. We almost messed up the money impression. Like, wait, 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 that that, that quick. So, Josh, when we talk about inclusion and representation, you know, that's always the conversation today. We need black characters on TV and we need to see more black faces on the TV. As you all were putting this piece together, how difficult was it to try and maintain the balance of sprinkling in this awareness that this character really did change the face of representation for black youth while also finding a couple jokes in there along the way? I feel like anytime something is um insane in a bad way anytime something is like unacceptable in a bad way there is something funny about that you know what i mean so it's like the same way that it's crazy that it took so long for there to be a black character and it just be normal it's like that is also funny it's funny because it's wild you know and so i think that that's where the jokes come from because on one hand you're like wow this is this is we're a little late if if you if you think about how long we all have been around each other and and our kids have been playing together everything like that we're a little late but then also i think that you you want to just kind of like you said convey that this is a big deal so i know it's not i know it's not a big deal now we've got like half of hbo is black now and like you know all all these all these shows are just like so there's they're so black that like you have cousins now who are on the show and you're like you don't even act and it's like yeah but they needed somebody so yeah hopped on like there's there's that much but you have to take it back a few decades to where it's like there was nothing and even some of the representation we see now, whether it's Asian or black, is like it's an overwhelming amount happening quickly recently. It's not as if this is yeah. just the world we've always lived in. So I, I think that those are the main mindsets you have to keep in mind when you write for pieces like this, where you have to put it in context to the time. And you also have to acknowledge that, yeah, this is, this is like a wild thing. It is, it is as messed up as it is. It is funny that the world could be that messed up. So, Rob, to your point earlier about Mr. Schultz having complete autonomy over the creative of his comic strip and choosing to put a black character in this comic strip, I would imagine that he didn't have like there was no diversity and inclusion board to run your black characters by. There was no correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't imagine that comic books have the same focus group type level of detail before something is released to the public the way a television show or the way a movie is what do you think schultz got right and where do you think some places where the representation could have been i don't want to say a little bit better but it was a step in the right direction but what what else do you wish that you could have seen from the first black comic strip character or was franklin's presence enough for you to get the ball rolling well, Roy, I saw what you guys did to my boy Franklin on his 50th. He was. You talking about how we had him sitting alone? We used, of all the clips of Franklin, we found the one where he's sitting on the, on the thanks, at the Thanksgiving special. By himself. By himself. I just don't want him to be the other kid all the time. Even at Thanksgiving. Yeah, they invited him, but look where they put him. He's by himself. Even the 
dog gets to sit with the kids. Why is the dog even at the damn table? It's cool though, Franklin. Franklin, look man, Franklin, they did you a favor. You don't want none of that bland ass white people turkey anyway. They ain't putting no sprinkles on it. You know they don't season the food, right? Have, did y'all have Thanksgiving in Africa? Y'all had them breakdancing. I never even saw that breakdancing. I don't know where. I'm like, where do they, like what kind of research team finds oh, that? Indeed. Oh, they go beyond. Boom, bop. <laughs> it was every time with this kid. Anytime you walk down the street in Peanutsville, you might run into Franklin and his homeboy pop locking. And even when he's hanging out with his friends, everyone else gets a normal handshake. But no, not Franklin. He got a slap skin. See what I mean? All the other Peanuts are just kids, but Franklin's running around Peanutville like a damn baby shaft. <laughs> He's a tiny, bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Franklin. Okay, so. The TV's Roy, different. We're talking, just take us back to 68. Very different. <laughs> it's very different. Sparky had very little to do with TV. He actually trusted two men, Bill Melendez and Lee Mendelson. Those two men are responsible for his television success. All those, those Christmas specials and all that. Great pumpkin specials. The great pumpkin, okay, yeah. But the introduction was tenuous because the world was so tense you guys it it was just a crazy time I, i'm a little older than almost everybody i meet nowadays and 1968 in, in america was just awful in the same year that dr king was assassinated he he, he got murdered in, in in april in july july 1st my brother billy who was a wild boy my brother was um seven years older than I. And he, uh, he was just a wild kid. My mom had a single mom and she had a hard time with Billy. Anyway, he, uh, he went out and was horsing around with his friends. We live right near the subway. It was elevated above the street like in Chicago. And we just hear it rumbling all day and night. My mom hated it. She was kind of forced to live where we lived and didn't have any way of getting out of that situation. And she was haunted by the subway, the sound of it. And she feared Billy would be killed on it one day because him him and his friends were so dude these guys they could jump the turnstile get through those doors before the guy had a chance anyway she sent them downtown and said uh, listen i don't want you horsing around i know you need a pair of sneakers here's money for the sneakers here's money for your car fare we call it the car fare to get on the subway don't jump on it don't play around I'm serious he says okay mom i won't he was walking through the doors it's on July 1st, 1968. One of his friends hocked a loogie into the engineer's face as he poked his head out to check for passengers clearance. Put his head out and one of my friends, my, butter, my brother's buddies hocked one and he reeled backward and shut the door, wham, with that crank, bam. And my brother was only halfway in and he got torn in half. Mm. That was July 1st and July 31st Franklin was introduced. You guys, there's a very good chance I would not have this career <laughs> if this dude didn't show up to cheer me up the same month that happened. The wow. same month that happened. I just loved seeing him. If you want to ask me what Schultz did right, he listened to somebody. Did he have a perfect landing? Did he stick the landing? I mean, you know, come on, man. He didn't know anything about it. His whole trepidation was built around, what do I know about black people and being black? This guy is from Minnesota. He's like, 
I'm going to get it so wrong. So he knew gonna, going in that he's very nervous, man. But he got it right. It's okay. You don't have to get it right. He put so much thought and care into peanuts. It became a global icon. I met this guy who was a collector, and I was brand new. I was 26. You know, I was, I was the youngest cartoonist in the syndication deal in the whole country. And I met this guy who said, I can help you sell your original strips. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I would never do this today, but, you know, I, I needed money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it sounds good to me. So this guy, Mark, nice enough guy, was my broker. And I was talking about Schultz's influence on me one day. He says, oh, Sparky, that's my friend. You want to meet him? I said, wait, who? Who are you talking about? Sparky Schultz. That's my buddy. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He says, if you ever come to California, call me. We'll get together. I'll take you over there to meet Sparky Schultz. Dude, it was like, well, there's nothing to compare that to. <laughs> it, would be, it would be like it's 1984. Somebody's like, I know Eddie Murphy. You want to go over there? <laughs> yeah, he didn't find that to there. <laughs> around the corner. Come on, meet yeah, Eddie if anything, you're like, should you be telling me where Eddie Murphy lives? Right. Like, exactly. I was like, what? Well, it was crazy. I walk into this campus. It's not a. Uh, it's not an office building or anything. It's a. It's a Disney-like environment. He had his own ice skating rink and his own restaurant, like a cafe. Then he had an office-type building that you walk into, and as you walk in, there's an atrium massive maybe three stories this sound tall, like eddie murphy wide house. open yeah like they, I'm, I'm i'm not gonna lie it indoor pool outdoor pool that much more money you're like why wait so how'd you decide what to spend it on because I'm, I'm i'm actually expecting you to say weirder stuff than what i'm here because what i'm hearing still seems relatively reasonable you know it, he was a yeah he was a reasonable humble man which I'm going to get to in a, in a second. He um, he did have this one celebratory space, though. As you walked in, he just had the Red Baron, you know, Snoopy on the thing. You could look up and it's flat. I can't even describe it. Just everywhere you looked, there was something. A lot of commemorate presidents and actors and they, I love you, Sparky. And, and that's when I realized his name was Sparky. Everybody calls him Sparky. Everybody, Frank Sinatra, like every, all this stuff. I was so eager to meet my my um, my idol. I sent him an original Jumpstart for my first like month of syndication. His office was Spartan, famously Spartan. He had a desk to draw on, a table to write letters on, a bookcase. He was a voracious reader, and a sofa. And my my Jumpstart was the only thing hanging up on the wall of his office. So I walk in. I thought I was seeing things. I said, um, oh, I said, I get it. Your friend told, told you I was coming and you framed that. Oh, that's very nice. I said, I get it, man. That's very, very, I'm very touched. It, he said, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, you, you knew I was coming. So you put the, uh, put the thing up. You put the thing up. Yeah. He said, no. He said, no, your work is great, man. He said, Jumpstart has what Peanuts has. Great characters. You can do this comic strip for the rest of your life. He said, but just, just remember one thing. Don't let the syndicate, you know, the people who distribute my work, don't let the syndicate ever tell you what to do. Don't pay any attention to them. It's a whole office filled, filled with non-talented people. 
I sound like entertainment too, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the wildest thing about this whole story is just the idea of Charles Schultz talking shit. So it's like you get get in the office and he's like, close the door behind you. Listen, don't let anybody son you. All right. Like just like like you you always imagine him as like talking the way Charlie Brown talks. So the fact that he's like, nobody knows what they doing. All right. You hold on to your IP. Okay. Totally. Josh, I'm not kidding. It's extremely important that a creative person have utter trust in the talent that they've been given because everybody has not been given talent. So, hey, by the way, Roy, um, just want to tell you, promise myself I would tell you this. When, when I saw you do Is Boston Racist, oh, like, I just yeah. thought, like, this might be, like, this should go in a time capsule. It's so good. It's so good. Thank like, you, brother. You didn't jump on anybody's case. You never called anybody anything. You just let them dig themselves into a hole they could not get out of. Just tell me what you think. <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. Surely the people of Boston must be feeling all that structural racism. To find out, I went to one of the city's most beloved cathedrals, Fenway Park. I don't see that racism myself, honestly. No, I don't think Boston's a racist city. I think that we've got a lot of like attention with, with our sports being in the media. So Boston's racist reputation is a conspiracy formed by people who hate Boston sports teams for winning all the damn time. Yes, they love to hate us. Yeah, I don't think of Boston as a racist city at all. So how do you know? Yeah. I don't feel it. You know, it's just a gut feel. I don't feel like it's racist. I've just never encountered it. I said, oh my God, this guy is an assassin. Like, <laughs> he just went along. And you have this pleasant face and everything. I'm like, he's just taking it to him. Oh my God. Well, what you all are able to do, you know, as cartoonists is so beautiful because you have the gift of disarming people. No one reads comic strips with their guard up. You watch The right. Daily Show in a different sense. So it's like, it's hard to explain, but there's always a way to sneak in that knowledge. Yo, after the break, there's a little fact about Franklin that I didn't know until we was doing the prep uh, for this. And also, Josh, I want to talk to you about some of your favorite um, black cartoon characters that maybe inspired you and put you in a different place and made you think, oh, yes, it's okay to be black in this world. I, I have I have two. I got a white one, too, but I definitely got a black one. I got a black one. Now that I'm older, I'm not even sure if he was written by black people. It's beyond the scenes. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm going to be honest. It, let, me, let me show you what representation can do, Rob. I also used to think that Pigpen was black. Because he was so dirty. And I just always thought, and then not only did I think it was dirt, the way they represented Pigpen, I thought it was must. Because I never associated black people with being dirty, but your aunts and your aunties always tell you, boy, you smell out. You smell like outside. Y'all need to put some deodorant on. Y'all kids stink. I was just like, oh, damn, it'd be some funky kids. I just need to, like, Pigpen just reminded me I need to always take a bath and be fresh. There was something interesting, and Josh, I don't know if you knew this either. Uh, Well, first off, Josh, did you know that Franklin has a last name? Um, So I didn't know Franklin had a last name until 
more recently but also just real quick off of your pig pen thing i think that by the time i was growing up i had there were more black cartoon characters so i never thought pig pen was black but as far as representation goes he did fully represent poor whites like 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 that <laughs> for me when i saw pig pen i was like i know a kid like that I know, and, he, and he's struggling. You know what I mean? And like nobody, and we all act like it's not happening. But it's like he, he shows up. He's got weirder stories than everybody. We're all eleven, and he's smoking. It's like that's pig pit. Like, how could it not be? <laughs> he had no Dude. last name either, by the way. Pigpen has no last name. Schroeder has no last name, and Franklin had no last name for a long time. But now Franklin's last name, I found out, is Armstrong. Rob. Armstrong, is there any relation to Pigpen? Is he named after you? How, he is named. how did that happen? Well, I was in my uh, office, uh, my con- my studio working, and the phone rings and Sparky's on the phone. He says, listen, I'm not going to keep you on the phone. I just want you to um, help me out with something. You, you ever uh, wonder why Franklin's got no last name? I said, uh, well, I thought Franklin might be his last name. Sometimes you oh. know a person that's their last okay. name. He says, no, no, no. I'm doing a video. It's going to go straight to DVD called um, You're in the Super Bowl, Charlie Brown. And in that video, there's a PA announcer. And he announces the kids, first name and last name. And they run out and they kick a football and throw a football or whatever. And Charlie Brown runs out. And Linus Van Pelt runs out, and Lucy Van Pelt runs out. But in, in the script, you can see that when Franklin is called, there's a space in there. Because the PA announcer says, and now Franklin. <laughs> and there's a kind of a awkward, like, you go, you know, kind of. He said, that's not, that's not cool, right? How would you feel if the PA announcer says, and now Franklin Armstrong runs out? How would you feel about that? I said, uh, wait, you're not thinking about putting my name in your video. He said, no, no, no. I'm thinking about changing his name to your name from now on. There are a few hard to believe moments in my life. And I already talked about one. That's the other one. <laughs> the other ones are awful things. But Josh, these two great. Josh, this is, this is basically like if you went over to Eddie Murphy's house and then Eddie Murphy was like, I'm thinking of changing my last name to Johnson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm Eddie yeah. Johnson. Then you always have to wonder, it's like, should I quit now then? Like, should I, like, should I stop? Because <laughs> I've done it. I've yeah, done everything. This is, uh, yeah, this, this is wild. I mean, first it was the, it was the advice with the like, hey, don't let them suck you. Make sure to... <laughs> <laughs> I like honestly that like that story is already like perfect and amazing and insane but a part of me wishes it even went further like he he just put a pistol on the desk it was like remember to keep that thing on you like just like Charles Schultz is actually like an insane thug and nobody knew he's like I'm about my money and I'm about my time Josh what were your favorite did you have because I think what Rob has presented to me is it's made me reflect this. I've been sitting here thinking the whole time we've been telling these stories and I'm like, well, damn, did any black character do that to me? Did any black character make me feel? Like? And I got, and I got two. 
I have mm-hmm. two from my childhood. I want to hear yours first. Are there any black characters? They don't have to be comic strip. Let's just go full television animation as well. Okay. I loved the Proud family growing up. And so Absolutely. a lot of the characters on Proud Family, like Sugar Baba, everybody, I, I felt bad for the dad. Like, like honestly, the dad in Proud Family, they gave it to him too hard because he's catching it from all angles. Like, even as a kid, I was watching Proud Family and I was like, this is why dads don't stay. This is like, he got, <laughs> look, look at what he has to deal with. He got Sugar Baba, he got his wife, he got the kids, he got other kids coming over, these weird kids coming over. It's like, why would you sign up for this life? Uh, the other one, I loved um, Black Panther. I'm not going to lie. A part of me, this, and this is like, you know, like when you're a teenager and you're like real, like, I don't know if I can speak for the two of you, but sometimes in your teenagers, you're already rebellious. So then you get a little militant, like you get a little like, ooh, ooh, and then you start learning like American history. You get mad at everything. A part of me was like. Like, I know that the story story we saw in Black Panther was written for Black Panther, but a part of me was like full Killmonger. Like, I was like, man, Killmonger just right. All right. So how about <laughs> how about we blow up everything? Like, I, I think that I had that this is the wrong kind of inspiration. Yeah, okay. because I'm like reading comic books as a teenager, which is already niche. And then and then I'm coming across characters who are supposed to be crazy, but then I'm like, they might just be correct, you know? Because yeah. also when you're a black kid, you have to make characters black sometimes. That's so true. like for when you're a black kid, any character that doesn't have peach or pink skin is black. So Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z, black. Wow. Uh, Thanos, black. Like like everybody that is not white is wow. black in a black kid's mind when they're coming up reading comics. You just nailed one of my people that I was about to name. Oh, really? Panthro from the Thundercats. Yeah. <laughs> He's blue. That was my dog, because he was Looks like enough. the leader. He was very wise. And, you know, he was always fixing shit. You know, Panthro was always the repair man of all the Thundercats. <laughs> you and know. Panther, Panther had those shoulders, too. Yeah. He just deep voice, Lino, you shouldn't be doing that. Like a, like a living ancestor. It's the code of the Thundercats. Then it's a stupid code. No. The code has served us well for centuries. And the other one was Roadblock from G.I. Joe. But now that I'm older and I look back at it, they was always kind of making him rhyme when he talked and shit. It was it was it was almost jive. Truck full of good eats, huh? What's it to you, Jack? I'm hungry. I'm a gourmet chef. And the name's not Jack. It's Roadblock. I'm with G.I. Joe. It wasn't quite <laughs> jive. But it was close to jive, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if this was the right thing to influence me. <laughs> Surprisingly, though, growing up, like, and then this is me not trying to start any comic beef. For whatever reason, Fat Albert did not connect with me, and I don't know if it was the music. Like, I'm not a dancer. Like, I I don't know what it was, but like my my older cousins they loved it fat albert was was their oh thing my God. and I, yeah, I don't man. know if i met you know i'm 42 so i graduated high school in 96 so by the time i caught fat albert it was kind of on the back end of it and maybe even syndication here and there so i don't know if it was because the music wasn't of my era or what but that was the one i just i could never like I would watch what's happening like i would watch all the black live sitcoms but when fat albert came on i was like i right, it's time to go outside <laughs> 
<laughs> what a what an attack! First of all, that, that wasn't that an is, attack. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Think about the, if you're like if the creator is listening. That's so funny because it's like you're already a kid. It's a cartoon, and when their cartoon comes on, you're like, I think I need some exercise. I loved Fat Albert, you guys. I was real into Fat. Albert. I was so into Fat Albert. I painted a giant mural. My first time painting a mural in my bedroom. It was, it was, you know, it was five and a half feet, whatever I could reach. It was five and a half feet tall, big fat belly. I loved Fat Albert. It's, uh, it's so awful. Like the legacy of Fat Albert is so tarnished. I was, yeah. I was, I'm a Philly dude. That cartoon was set in Philadelphia. And Bill Cosby was a Philly dude. I mean, yep. he still is. Still is a Philly dude. Yeah, legendary, you know, cartoon. It was just. I don't know. They started dancing, Josh, and I was like, I don't know how to dance. Girls don't like me. Where's my baseball? <laughs> but I'm just outside. saying, okay, the, my only perspective that I'm coming from is like, since it's a cartoon and you're a kid, it's like, it. let's let's pretend for a second Fat Albert was a cereal or a candy, and then somebody put it in front of you, and you were like, you know what? I should eat my vegetables. It's like, it, it's the complete <laughs> opposite of how kids are supposed to respond to those things, and so that's why it's killing me that you watched it, and you even saw it was going, you saw the theme song, and you were like, um... Let me do some calisthenics, just like big words for a little kid, too. Just, uh, I think I need some pull-ups in my life or something. Well, we come back, Rob, I want to talk to you about the inspiration that you try to put into your characters and the way that you try to influence. Well, I, you know, the, the better question is how much of it is overt versus covert influencing uh, in the content yeah. that you create with Jumpstart. And we're going to talk a little bit about the book. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. We have been talking about black cartoon characters and Franklin, who was the first black. Do we know what do we do? We even was Franklin from the West Side or the South Side? Did Charles Schultz rob? Did he get that deep into Franklin's he backstory? Two parent home, single parent home. And Peanuts, they, they all come from a kind of a murky parent home. But Franklin, unlike the other characters, talks about his grandfather. He quotes his grandfather a lot. Franklin said to, to Charlie Brown, my grandfather fought, um, fought in Vietnam. So, you know, he went away for a long time. And, and Charlie Brown said, my dad, my, my, grand, my dad's a barber. He fought in, in a war, but I don't know which one. <laughs> he, he, I, you know, he has no idea. He's no, he has no he idea. He doesn't know shit about that's his major. parents. His grandfather, like that's major. Not to know. So, yeah, parents are net. Parents, your yeah, parents are parents in peanuts. They're like, ah, you know, want, 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 want. You know. <laughs> like, no, no I cares. like how yeah Charlie has a has a conversation with Franklin. It's like, listen, I have an agreement in my house. I don't talk to them, and they don't talk to me, okay? <laughs> exactly. We eat man. at the same time, and we stay out of each other's business, all right? <laughs> so, Rob, let's talk a little bit about Jumpstart, and let's talk about the book. What's interesting about Jumpstart to me is the level in which you choose intentionally at times to bathe the characters in positivity and humor and positivity. You're not using woe is me or humdrum or 
you know, like, like as to use peanuts as an analogy, snatching the football away from someone and, and right. you know, and denying the character of the reward. Like you had you had a strip where the kids just want to spend time with dad. Dad just got mm-hmm. home and dad is like, get off me. I just need to breathe. <laughs> and it's just the kids waiting to hug their father. And I'm like, right. that's so touching. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what are the storylines that you're trying to draw to uh, with Jumpstart? Because it really does leave you feeling good and better about the world more often than not. It's a uh, subversive attempt to address a very hot topic in the black community. Um, rather than tell people, um, I'm not this, you, you're, that's a misperception. That's a misconception. That's racist. That's stereotype. Instead of telling them that, Jumpstart sneaks in a different door with a lot of things to refute that. Joe is um, desperate to spend time with his his kids and goes out of his way to be entertaining. He's got a ritual with his twins with the sock puppet called the sock nest monster in the bathtub and all that. He's just one of these dads that would spend all of his free time with his kids if he could, with his wife and his kids. He's desperately in love with his wife. Marcy is his girl. You know, Joe doesn't have a, a fling of affairs and all this. He doesn't look and check. Oh, who's that, that would he be a do any great that, special edition series, though. The Jumpstart Side Chick Run, like a special tenor. Don't let me tell you what to do, but, you know, keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was warned a long time ago. If someone suggests to you to have one of your characters run off with that girl from the office, don't, don't, don't listen to him. <laughs> Roy. <laughs> I will take it under advisement. See, I take everything under advisement. Okay. I never say never. Yeah. But I want to, you guys, here's the thing. People think I came up like that, like my characters. People think I, I have a nuclear family, that, that I, I was raised with a mom and a dad and all that. Or I have a lot of brothers. Like Marcy's got 12 stepbrothers. One plays in the NFL, they're huge, they're all giants. You know, one, one is eight feet tall, he teaches kindergarten. He's, one's a pastor and one's a, firemen and all of that is made up for the sake of presenting something other than what people are expecting to see. I'm I'm just trying to stun the reader sometimes and have them think, wow, that's, I never saw that. You know, I never saw that coming. And I want to do it in a way that that is charming. I want to make people think twice before being bigoted. Calling people racist is tricky. Racism isn't what people might think it is. Racism is awful. It's someone deliberately holding you back, impeding your progress, hurting you politically, coming up with bullshit to, to arrest you with and to stick on you. Like bigotry though is, is more pervasive, kind of a narrow mindedness that affects us, affects almost everyone. And I want my black reader also to read Jumpstart and feel like they're seeing something new that they've never seen before. It's not like the Cosby show. It's not like that. Joe's an actual cop. Like Joe's been shot. <laughs> like Joe's been shot by joyriders, black kids in the car, all that. Like yeah. he's just out there doing police work. You know what I mean? So when all this police stuff happened and cops got vilified, Joe didn't get vilified. My, my profile was elevated during BLM. Like, Cop shows were taken off television. And my profile went boom because 
I do a character-driven work, not a circumstance-driven work, not a, not a, not, I'm not going to comment on the newspaper today. These are people to my readers. They seem to be going through life, love, and disappointment, and they seem to be redemptive. They just keep loving each other and those around them, That's- no matter what. And that can help influence a lot of social good. Josh, what is it about stand-up, or maybe you disagree with me on this, but Rob makes a good case for the repetitive nuance of humanizing characters, thus eventually influencing your views, right? Comedy, we don't have that luxury. In most instances, you have an hour in any market. On TV, you have an hour. Do you think comedy can be an influence for social good or because the nature of our performance genre, we don't get the luxury of that nuance all the time? Uh, I I think you just have to make sure that that's how you come off. I think that when when it's you as an individual, you become something more than just checking boxes when when you speak and if people get to know you i mean one of the things that comes with it is fame i think that with a certain amount of fame people are are seen as more than just this person who thinks this thing and people give them a little bit more of an opportunity to express a nuanced point but i i think that it's there but it's just it's very tough for it to be that that same not just because they're two different mediums but i think that with stand-up it is like easier to twist someone's words or to like willfully misinterpret what they're trying to say um and i think it comes with a body of work and just a, a public persona that's like laid out over years to give people the time of day yeah it's well put Rob, tell us about the book. Tell us what the book is and where people can find the book, brother. So uh, my newest book is called On a Roll. And I'm so like, it's just an honor, honestly, because this is the only 30-year treasury by a black cartoonist in history. It's the first one like it. You know, you see the Calvin and Hobbes books and the Far Side books. This is all jumpstart, brother. And it's got more than just comic strips in it. It's got... It's got paintings I've done. It's got, it's, here's a, here's, that's my desk. That's this desk, right? <laughs> and it's got 500 strips that I felt were my best work, my best, my best representation of how 30 years have gone. And um, I know you'll like it. I know you'll like it. Anyone can read a collection of I, I, cartoons. I think you just gave me, you know, what'll be, you know, little activity for me and the five-year-old. He's getting decent with the reading. He is interested in humor. I try not to encourage it, but I will expose him to anything he shows interest in. Thank you. So <laughs> That's very we'll nice. Do that Appreciate you, brother. Instead of having him laugh at Garfield and then he'll grow up just wanting to eat lasagna all the time. Respectfully, Jim Davis. No disrespect <laughs> to Garfield. I yes. love Garfield. I ride with Garfield. Garfield and Friends every Saturday morning in the 90s. See? That was my shit. Uh... It's all love. So we done it. What would be wild is if Jim Davis was a thug too. <laughs> so it's like they both have like a low key thing that nobody knew about. Here you go. And like and like Jim Davis, stay ready. He'd be listening for anybody that breaks him up. Disrespectfully. He'd be ja, He's yeah. ready. He'd be Ja Rule. He's Ja Rule and Marcus yeah. 50. 50 He's why Charles Schultz put the gun on the desk and was like, keep that thing on you, all right? You never know. You never know. Well, 
Thank you so much, uh, Rob. The book is On a Roll, A Jumpstart Treasury. Rob Armstrong, thank you so much for coming beyond the scenes with us. Josh Johnson, as always, thank you. Good, sir. Are you you back out on the road? I guess not. We back in studio, so your ass got to work now. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're asking about dates that I have to promote, you're, you're correct. I do not have... That, that many right now uh, I'm on the road with Trevor so whatever his dates are you can see me open up for him and then that's about it oh well then you straight then that's dope uh, thank you so much Rob thank you so much Josh that's all the time we have for today I wish we had more time man this is this is history I, I would because I, you know the next story from you about Charles Schultz was going to be about his private Learjet he probably owned three planets all let off that peanuts money look hopefully we've taken you beyond the scenes see you next week are you enjoying yourself well if you are you can do the podcast things liking and subscribing and leaving nice little comments where you say how smooth my voice is make sure you add that in the review smooth voice